Jesus shall reign. So the Bible declares a message. If the Bible concludes with a message, it is that Jesus does reign and shall reign forever and ever. Let me invite you to open up uh, God's Word with me, uh, the Bible with me, to the book of Revelation. We're in Revelation chapter 5 uh, today. And if you're using a pew Bible, you can find this text beginning on page 994. Uh, but here we are, again, uh, in an exciting portion of Scripture, the book of Revelation. And so here's the scene. It's A.D. 95 or thereabouts, and John, the author of this book, this portion of God's Word, uh, is on a small rocky island in the Aegean Sea off the coast of modern-day Turkey. He's been banished there. He's not there by choice. He's been banished there by the authorities because he's been preaching about Jesus Christ. But God's not done with him. And so as John is worshiping, the Spirit of God moves, and God speaks to John through a series of visions, uh, visions employing otherworldly symbols and images meant to encourage and strengthen believers who are living on earth in the present. You see, like believers living in places like North Korea and Sudan and Pakistan today, Christians living in the Roman Empire in AD 95 were a minority, often ostracized, uh, suppressed, and persecuted for practicing faith in Jesus. Domitian, who is the emperor, demanded total devotion from his subjects, even expecting them uh, to worship him as king. Thus, he had little sympathy for those who were devoted to worship and serve and follow Jesus Christ alone. So the book's original recipients faced persecution and pressure to compromise. Furthermore, false teaching and, and the lure of immorality and affluence uh, and the desire for cultural approval constantly confronted them. And in just such a setting, in just such a context, in just such an unstable time, John writes about victory. He writes about victory, the victory accomplished by the land that was slain and the victory that uh, is for those who serve this one faithfully, even if it means death. Before we read our text for this morning, just a couple uh, additional thoughts um, to keep in mind as we read this portion of God's Word. Firstly, this book is meant to encourage, not discourage, uh, believers living in the present, awaiting the return of Christ. There's quite a bit of debate speculation about the order of these end times events. And as we open up this portion of God's word, oftentimes people have conversations about uh, the judgment of God and the tribulation. And will I be here or how can I not be here and all this sort of stuff? And how can I not experience this? And and that can, if we're not careful, keep us from hearing and responding to the central message that is found here. The message calls believers. It is written for believers. It calls believers to rejoice in God, who He is, what He's done, and what He's going to do. Its content should lead us to rejoice. And secondly, uh, even though John receives several visions recorded here, the order in which he receives them and writes them does not necessarily indicate the order in which these end times events take place. It's a bit 
challenging for our linear minds. We're, we're used to thinking in, in a linear fashion to hear this happens and then this happens and this, this happens. We, we read books that way, but it's helpful if we consider this text perhaps more like a portrait, a painting, a picture, than a strict, uh, detailed, ordered chronology of events. And uh, to use a fancier word, uh, Revelation uses recapitulation, describing the same events or the same actions in various ways in order to emphasize key truths, to drive home central truths. Okay, so all that in mind, let's look at the scriptures. Let's look at God's word. This is a continuation where we pick up in chapter 5, a continuation of the heavenly throne room vision that we began last week, uh, that uh, or that we read last week, that's found in Revelation chapter 4. Chapter 4 is a reminder that God is in charge, that he is sovereign, that he is still on the throne despite uh, how things look here on earth. He's trustworthy. In that chapter, we see that all those in his presence, both angelic beings and human beings who've been saved by his grace, are surrounding his throne and worshiping him. And when we get to chapter 5, our text for this morning, there's a shift in focus from God as uh, creator, or a shift in focus from focusing on God as creator to uh, the Lamb as redeemer. So let's uh, read our text. Let me invite all those... Uh, to st- all of you to stand uh, in body or in spirit this morning as we read God's word. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. John writes, he says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, the Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy. To take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the four living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's bow in prayer. Father, may you guide us now in understanding the truths of your word and applying them to our lives as your people. Lord, may 
your people be encouraged and comforted and directed this morning. And Lord, may unbelievers repent and turn to Christ. Speak to us now, for we are listening. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, chapter 4, the chapter preceding this one, uh, portrays all of uh, heaven worshiping the Creator. And now chapter 5 moves to the worship of Jesus, the eternal worship of Jesus, who is described here as both the Lion and the Lamb. And so here's John, receiving this vision from God about God sitting on the throne of heaven with a scroll in His hand. The one who is on the throne, one who was and who is and who is to come, God Almighty sitting on the throne of heaven, he has a scroll in his hand. And scrolls in that day were used for legal and other important documents, and they were often held shut with wax, imprinted with personal seals, um, usually from signet rings, and that determined who could open, who, who had permission, who, who, who's, uh, who could open the content of the documents uh, it reserved them for uh, their rightful recipients. Now, we don't practice uh, that quite exactly today, but today we do have things like lock boxes and we have safes that require uh, specific keys or combination codes to open to ensure that the rightful owner, one with the right credentials, gets the contents inside or reveals the contents inside. And this particular scroll here is full of information. John says it's written on both sides. It's filled up with writing. And it is in the hand of God. This is God's document. This is His revelation. Truth that only He can reveal about the culmination or conclusion of salvation history. The overarching unified story of the Bible. In other words, this is uh, the rest of God's story. This contains God's story. And so as a follower of of Jesus Christ. John knows the love of God. He's already seen a glimpse of God's might and he wants to know what God is doing in the world. He wants to know the rest of the story. He wants to know the truth. So he longs for someone to open the scroll unveiling what's found inside. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. Scripture says no one can because no one is worthy. No one was found worthy. No one has the proper credentials. No one speaks up. No one answers the angel when he poses the question. This is a massive letdown for John the Apostle. He, he, wants, he wants to hear the full implications of, of God's truth. He longs for God's truth. And suddenly it's as if it's being kept from him. Imagine for a moment that you have the opportunity to go on... Uh, a family vacation in the mountains. We'll say out west. Uh, maybe a, a friend or a friend of a friend has loaned you their vacation home for a few days. You haven't been on vacation in a while, and so you're really excited about this. Kids can't wait. You load up the car, and all the way there, two days, you are singing, you're celebrating, you're anticipating, you're playing games. You can't wait to get where you're going. You, you finally arrive. You unbuckle, you skip to the front door of the cabin and you realize you don't have the key to the cabin. You left it back home. Talk about a massive letdown. 180 degree turn of emotions. And here is John who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He knows the Lord is good. 
And yet he also knows that he's an old man and he's in exile. He knows hardship firsthand. And for a moment, his hope vanishes. For a moment, he is let down deeply. What if this life is all there is? What if there is no eternal redemption in Christ? What if this earthly life is the end of the story? You see, John grieved because he knew Paul's words recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so John cries. He weeps. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. You see, John knew the gospel. He knew Jesus the Messiah. He knew the mission of Christ. He knew the fulfilled mission of, of Jesus Christ. He knew that the gospel was incompatible, inconsistent with, with Nietzsche's lie that this life is all there is and that only the strong succeed. In fact, he had given his life to submission and service, surrender for the sake of salvation and the spread of the gospel. And if this life is all there is, what a waste. If God's story didn't actually move beyond the rocky cliffs of Patmos, John is to be pitied. But then one of the elders said to him, Do not weep. Stop crying. John, get yourself together. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. There is one who can open the scroll. The mighty lion of the tribe of Judah. Language that recalls Jacob's blessing voiced over his son Judah and his tribe recorded in Genesis chapter 49. And like a tender shoot that appears in the spring from a root that had been cut off and lying dormant through the winter months, a Davidic king has been born. He has come, the root of David, centuries after the Davidic kingdom had fallen. But it had not been destroyed. The Messiah came. The Messiah came from the tribe of Judah. He came through the line of King David to save God's people just as God had predicted and promised. There is one who can open the scroll. He is the Messiah. He is the King. Friends, this is a vision of Jesus, the Messiah, declaring that Jesus is the ultimate king. He is the ultimate king. Portrayed as on the throne of heaven. He is the ultimate king. Jesus, the Messiah, can open the scroll. Why can he open it? Because he has the proper credentials. Because he is the cornerstone. He is the centerpiece. He is the divine character who conducts the central mission of God's story. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he is victorious, the elder declares. He can do it. He can open the scroll. And so John's weeping suddenly turns to rejoicing. The scroll will open. The story will finish. Domitian will not have the final word. Satan will be banished. False teaching will cease. Victory is certain for Christ and his people. And so John rejoices. Rejoices. And as followers of this same Christ, as followers of King Jesus, we too must rejoice in the King. If we know the King, called to rejoice in the King, we have every reason to 
Rejoice in the king for earthly trials, be they depression, disease, or evil dictators, are temporary. They do not have the final word. They will not last. For Christ Jesus is sovereign and God's story of redemption is moving toward its ultimate fulfillment. So God's people take heart. They press on. They worship. They rejoice in their majestic and mighty king. And I've got to believe that John is rejoicing when he hears the elder suddenly interrupt his weeping and speak. He's celebrating. He's worshiping the Lord. And in that moment of exuberant worship, he turns and he looks for this mighty lion. He looks for this lion of the tribe of Judah. But what he sees is not a fierce lion. He turns expecting to see one like the king of the jungle. And yet he sees a lamb. A young sheep. Of course, John is quite familiar with this image. But the irony here could hardly be more obvious. The ultimate king is also the sacrificial lamb. The king of all kings. The the ultimate king is also the sacrificial lamb. The lion is the lamb. And not just any lamb, but a lamb looking as if it had been slain, he says. Portraying his substitutionary and sacrificial death. Linking Jesus the Christ with the Passover lamb whose blood was put on the doorpost to save the Israelites as they fled from Egypt from the judgment of God. The mighty king of all creation has become the animal of sacrifice. He's taken the wrath of God in order that men and women and boys and girls from every nation and tribe and people and language could gather at the throne of heaven when they depart from this earth and praise the one who rules and reigns over all. And where is he? Where is this sacrificial land? He's standing at the center of the throne. Surrounded by the living creatures that were introduced in chapter 4. And the elders receiving continual praise. Don't miss this. This is the central paradox of our faith. That victory, ultimate victory, is not accomplished through power or coercion or force or number of troops, but is accomplished through sacrifice. Victory comes through sacrifice. And this one who is our sacrifice is worthy of our praise, portrayed here as having seven horns and seven eyes. What a picture. Remember that seven is significant in Scripture, particularly in the book of Revelation, symbolizing completion or perfection. I think here uh, symbolizing that God, uh, that this one, that this lamb has perfect power uh, and complete knowledge. slain one is the triumphant one. He's receiving the very same praise as the one who sits on the throne. The four living creatures, probably uh, exalted angels and the 24 elders, uh, perhaps representing believers, and thousands upon thousands of angels sing praises to the Lamb, declaring a loud sevenfold tribute. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then John hears the fulfillment of Philippians chapter 2 where Paul writes that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Of course this submission and obeisance is from every creature. Every creature in heaven and on earth under the earth will bow and acknowledge who he is but those who believe in him, those who place their faith in Him, those who serve Him will be rejoicing as they bow. Why? Why will we rejoice? 
we will rejoice because the Son of God has conquered through the cross, calling followers from every single nation. The Son of God conquers by way of the cross. He conquers through the cross, calling followers, calling people, calling servants from every nation. Verse 9, And all those in heaven sang a new song, saying, You are worthy because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Church, the Son of God conquers through the cross, calling followers from every nation. And as one scholar put it, the continuing and ultimate victory of God over evil. He said, the continuing and ultimate victory of God over evil, which the rest of Revelation describes is no more than the working out of the decisive victory of the Lamb on the cross. Friends, in this heavenly throne room vision, John gazes upon the victory of the Lamb, and through his words, through God's word, we too are invited, called, commanded, welcomed to behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Called to look and see Jesus as he is revealed in the Scriptures. The Son of God and yet the Lamb of God who takes away our sins, who purchased us with His blood. Look at Him. Observe His mysterious ways. Believe the message of His gospel and worship Him. Are you worshiping Him? Friend, are you worshiping the Lamb of God who was slain for you, for me? One who is standing at the center of heaven's throne even now. Are you worshiping Him? If you are not worshiping Him, if you are not directing the attention of your life, the affection of your heart upon Him, if you are not bowing before Him, then you're missing the call of His Word. You're missing the central call of the Scriptures. You're missing the message of Revelation, for Revelation is about celebrating salvation in Jesus Christ. Don't miss the Lamb. Worship the Lamb. The triumphant Lamb that was slain is worthy He is worthy of our praise and our exaltation and our singing, our complete and total devotion. So let's behold Him. Let's behold the Lamb. Let's embrace the privilege of coming together. Mornings like this, gathering week after week, knowing that our weekly worship gatherings and rehearsals are, are simply rehearsals for the gathering in heaven in which all those who know the Lamb will one day participate forevermore. Let's behold the Lamb. Let's worship the Lamb. Let's Behold the Lamb that was slain, and let's follow this Lamb. Follow the Lamb. Follow the Lamb. For He is the sacrificial Lamb who takes away our sins. But He is also the ultimate King. The Lord over all. The sovereign Creator and Majestic One. All of history culminates in His reign, and this One who reigns over all calls us to participate in his kingdom by making us verse 10 to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God privileged positions of service and representation so friends let's serve him let's follow him let's serve him by following him going wherever he calls us and by recognizing that he is lord living lives of submission to him and imitating his way of sacrifice and service as we make him known throughout Birmingham and to the ends of the earth And friends, until Christ returns, and He will return, 
The book of Revelation declares that loud and clear as well. Until he returns, we will continue to live in a world with violence and persecution, with injustice and hatred, with murder and immorality, with corruption and evil, a world broken by sin. And the only solution to all of this is the God of the gospel. When Christ returns, he returns for his people, all the brokenness will vanish. So we join the angels of heaven and all God's people and rejoice in the presence of the true Lion King and sacrificial Lamb. But in the meantime, we are here, called to live, to walk faithfully as we wait, to serve the King as we anticipate, to follow the Lamb. Let's follow the Lamb, imitating His ways for the glory of God and the good of people. Persons from every tribe and language and people and nation for whom He died. Father, we pray that that call would be realized in us. Lord, that we would be faithful in, in following the Lamb, in serving the King. Father, we have gathered this morning to, to worship You, to encounter You, to be confronted by You, to respond accordingly. Father, may our lives reflect And proclaim that Jesus is King. That He is the the mighty Lion and the sacrificial Lamb. Lord, He is that You are the God of all creation and yet the One who humbled Yourself and gave Your life away for us that we might be forgiven, that we might be saved, that we might be restored, that we might walk and live and serve You as Your privileged people. Father, may we never take your grace for granted. May we respond to it and live for you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.